Welcome to the Rise Up Good Witch podcast, a radical anti-capitalist approach to herbalism, self-care, and the tarot. to the 93rd episode of the Rise Up Good Witch podcast. This is Karina. Y'all, I am so excited to share this extremely epic and intense conversation with y'all with the amazing psychic practitioner Krista Venora of Pink Opal Magic. I love all the conversations I have with everyone Um, But I feel like this one is really going to hit hard for a lot of people in the best way possible. So strap on your seatbelts, y'all. This is going to be a good conversation. I think the conversation here that Krista and I have is really important because we're talking a lot about accountability, call out and cancel culture, transformative justice, and owning the fact that every human upon this earth is capable of harm and capable of healing, which is a thing I talk about a lot, but I just really appreciated holding this conversation with someone who is so incredibly intuitive, empathic, well-educated, well-studied on this subject and has such like a nuanced take on it. I know all of y'all are going to be really inspired by Krista and want to support their work and learn more about them, so I recommend joining their Patreon. I'm currently on the $5 level, but I think I'm going to increase to the $20 level because then you can get a reading. Wow. Or maybe it's the $30 level. They say it in this interview regardless, but I'm going to check it out, and I hope you check it out too. This episode, I felt a lot of trepidation and nervousness around releasing it and it was partially because like a lot of things we talk about are really controversial you know I think that talking about accountability and cancel culture in leftist circles brings up a lot of intensity in people because there are such differing viewpoints and I am definitely someone who's been evolving my viewpoints around this I think people have assumed and I I've even gotten this like in my real life like in you know, definitely in like the internet world where like people are like rise up good, Witch is someone that will call people out and publicly shame people. And you know what? I won't totally disagree with you because the methodologies that I have used in the past, um, in order to quote unquote, hold people accountable are methodologies that I absolutely do not stand behind. Um, I have thought a lot about this y'all. Like I think about this all the time. Um, I used to be someone who thought in order to be a leftist, in order to be like a good activist, in order to be committed to a perspective of social justice, I needed to point out every incident of cultural appropriation, every incident of harm, and like publicly hold those people accountable. And yet now what I've come to realize is that's like a very self-aggrandizing way to look at things because I'm just another person. You know, I have no authority to, to like you know, call someone out, especially if there hasn't been a call in first. Um, Even though a lot of times when I have done these, um, most every time it's been uh, because someone has asked me to do it. Um, But the way it's always unfolded for me is that because I have a large social media platform, people are like, rise up good witches calling someone out again. Um, 
And, you know, I'm not going to unpack all my feelings about this right now, but I'll just say that my opinions have evolved quite a bit. And I am sometimes afraid to share, although I think that my opinions have evolved the way many, many people's have, um, because I still believe in transformative justice. I, I don't believe in this narrative of like, you know, there's like a lot of people who are just like no accountability with anyone. And I am not there. I think that if you cause harm, you should be held accountable by your community. But I don't think that that should include public shame. Um, and that, of course, doesn't apply to people that are, are, have massive access to power and are willfully, violently harming people on a consistent basis. You know, like, I would never be like, don't cancel Har Harvey Weinstein. Because someone like that that has access to a lot of financial and social power, they do need to be held accountable. But if it's just a bunch of, like, working class queers in community and someone fucks up in some way, I don't think that uh, necessitates, like, a big public call out. And I love how Krista says no one is, like, no one is... Um, awarded or inherently deserves a platform. And we should be platforming survivors um, over perpetrators of harm. However, I think the conversation people tend to not have is that most perpetrators of harm are survivors, if not all of them. As a person with complex PTSD, I know a lot about shame, and I know a lot of you do too. And shame is a weapon of self-destruction. It is not a weapon of change. It keeps us stagnated in old patterns. And in my experience doing public call-outs or being involved in public call-outs, what I've always witnessed is that the person being called out will further feel persecuted and attacked. Um, and often that warrants like a lot of support from other people who then center the perpetrator again and they center uh, meeting the needs of the perpetrator. And then the perpetrator often can like aggrandize even more so this story of victimhood in this instance. And then we take the light and the spotlight away from the people that were harmed and uplifting them and helping them heal. So again, this is something I've really been reflecting on and working on and wanting to share with others and have discourse around um, just how do we move forward? Because especially as we think about like the tragedies happening, you know, this has been a really hard year and it makes sense because it's the United States Pluto return. This has been a really devastating year. It seems like every week we have devastating news. Um, you know, the most recent being the school shooting, the biggest school shooting since Sandy Hook, and the fact that the cops were tasing parents and they were unable, in, according to them, deal with the situation inside of the school with the gunmen. And these are just situations we see play out as structural violence over and over again, and yet our Democratic president is still defending police, still funding the police department even more, um, still talking about being pro-capitalism, which in my opinion is being pro-billionaire. And to be pro-billionaire means that you're pro-people um, exploiting others to make a profit. So in this world we live in, as an anarchist, I spend a lot of time thinking, you know, and I think we discuss this, like Krista says something about this in this conversation. If, this is, if society as we know it collapses, we are all still here. All of our baggage is still here. What about those people that are pro-gun and anti-abortion and anti-immigrant and anti-trans? Um, people that have no compassion for those that live at the intersection of marginalization. Um, but they do have, um, you know, they do have compassion for like 
an embryo that hasn't yet become a human. Um, how do we deal with that? Like if society collapses, how would we negotiate with those people and stay safe from them? And that's sort of the thing that keeps me up at night a lot as an anarchist. It's just like, how do my belief systems, um, how do they, how do they hold up in the reality of the violent world that we live in? And how much of this is my privilege? I don't want to go off about this for too long because we have a really long conversation and I'll say that, you know, usually I do cut some parts out. Um, there was not anything that I could cut out of this conversation. It was so rich and I just know that everyone's going to get a lot from it and it might upset some people. And I do want to give a trigger warning towards the end of the interview. I don't know exactly what time it's going to be at because I'm doing this intro, but, um, Around the 50 minute mark of the interview, so the interview I believe is 100 and, uh, or not 100, it's an hour and eight minutes. So around the 50th mark, I bring up a time that I was sexually assaulted. Uh, that was one reason that this was a hard episode for me to release is because this is a really personal thing to me. And unfortunately, I'm a person that has been um, the survivor or the victim of a lot of violence in my life, often sexualized. Um, and that's something I've really been dealing with the last couple of years. I've been really unpacking that. And the more that I unpack it and do somatics around it, the more that the trauma shows up in my body because I realized that I spent so many years just totally disassociating. So I share a little bit about a time that I was sexually assaulted and I became very angry and very vindictive and I really wanted him to pay for what he had done for me. And in that experience, I realized I was the one that suffered. He wasn't suffering. He was embarrassed because he didn't want his reputation sullied. And I realized after that time that I didn't want to put myself in that position again. He got away with it, you know, and I was not the only person that he violated. And the reason I'm saying this is because I in no way, shape or form want to judge anything that any survivor does to get justice for themselves. I think that you, you know, as a survivor, you need to do what you need to do for yourself and for your healing. I actually, um, at the time of recording this interview, I mentioned that I had never felt angry. Um, I never really felt angry for the times that I was violated because I always created a story about how this person that did it was going through their own stuff. They were a whole human being and I couldn't pigeonhole them as just having done this one terrible thing to me. And it only has been in my more recent healing journey that I recognized that all that was doing was abandoning myself because I am also a whole human and I do not deserve to take on the blame for myself about times that I was physically and sexually harmed by other people. And when I say other people, I'm specifically mostly talking about cis men. So a couple months ago, I ended up doing my first banishing spell. Um, I have never done any spells to cast harm on others. And I wrote down a list of all the men throughout my life that I felt had caused me relatively serious harm. Um, most of these were sexual assault, like pretty severe instances of sexual harassment. Some of them were like manipulation, stealing, lying, cheating, but they were all notably abusive. And, and the list came out tragically to 17 names. I realize that I've spent most of my life either extremely angry at myself or sometimes projecting anger onto people that were trying to support me. 
something about the way that my trauma existed and still exists in my body makes it easier to point the finger at safe people than it does to the actual harm doers. And I know that that is extremely harmful. That is fucked up. At times, it can even be abusive. And that is a hard pill that I have had to swallow. But what I realized in my spell was that it was okay for me to be angry. Because just as I had felt the remorse and regret about the times that I had inappropriately projected my anger onto people who loved me and cared for me, I had to grieve my own behavior in order to take that pain back. Because that was not a pain that those people should have dealt with. I was supposed to deal with that pain. So the act for me of acknowledging the harms that I had committed and the regrets I had around it, I had to take that pain back. I had to feel the pain. And that was part of why I had gone through last year a really severe depression um, was because I was coming to terms with the shadows of my own behavior. So when I did the spell, I realized if I can take accountability, if I can feel the pain of the harm I caused, I need to give the pain that was inflicted on me back to the people that inflicted it. So I made the list and I froze it and then I burned it. And then I watched it burn on the concrete floor in a circle of candles with rosemary. And it was an incredibly empowering experience. And again, I don't wish harm on any of those people. The goal of it was to get them to see the light of the harm that they caused, the way that I experienced because this is true transformation. This is true accountability. And if all of us who have hurt others are willing to face that pain that we threw upon someone else and we are able to reabsorb it in order to heal it, in order to be better ourselves, I think that that is an act of individual transformative justice. And that's the kind of world we need to seek when we think about abolition of systems of punishment. And unfortunately, what I see, a lot of these leftists that call themselves abolitionists and their whole entire focus is on cancel culture is that there is a lack of awareness there about the fact that everyone causes harm and that it's not black and white. You can do something very harmful, very hurtful, even abusive to someone else. And that doesn't necessarily make you bad. It makes you unhealed and you need to heal that part of yourself. And part of healing it, that part of yourself is to acknowledge that what you did was wrong and to feel the pain that you inflicted on someone else because that pain is yours. It's not that other person's. So I wanted to do this kind of like intro about this because this is a lot what we talk about. And I've had a couple months to reflect on this because we did record this almost three months ago. Um, and I've had a lot of opportunities to reflect on my opinions about this. So once again, uh, please support Krista by joining their Patreon. And just to give a shout out, I have two classes coming up. Um, one is with the amazing Sanu Estelle, the archaic, modern, and pop culture history of the tarot. You can register through June 12th. That's the day that the class is happening. So we'll, we'll let you register up until like the day that we teach, but I would love to see you there. Um, if you've enjoyed the podcast Sanu and I have done together, we're really excited to present this offering to you. The other class is something that I'm incredibly excited about. It's something I've been working on for a long time. It's called Summer Flower Mystery School. And this is a three-month container to work on themes of uh, grief, uh, specifically um, eco-grief and collective grief, 
um, ancestral connection and ancestor work, and self-inquiry and storytelling. And this is alongside ritual practices each month and um, two flower essences that folks will work on in the duration of three months. And this is the first time I'm teaching it, so the price point is very, very low because I just want people to come to the class. Um, if you listen to this before June 1st, you can still set up a payment plan. Just send me an email. Um, but I know this is going to be like a deeply transformative and intuition developing class, and I'm really excited about it, so I really hope to see you there. Also, I just want to give an additional shout out about my survey. It is still open, and it's going to be open until June 15th. And I really am so appreciative of everyone that's filled it out so far. If you haven't, please, please, please take the time. You can be as honest as you want. You can be anonymous if you would like. This really helps me moving forward with the, with the podcast. It really helps me know who you want me to talk to, what topics you want covered, what you've liked, what you haven't liked. And if you enter your email, you win. Uh, you enter into a drawing to win one of five um, care packages of apothecary and zines valued at about $100. So there's a big incentive for you to take five minutes and fill out that survey. And it just, it really means a lot to me. You know, there's so many ways to support my work financially, like registering for a class, signing up for Tarot School for Liberation, shopping the apothecary, joining the Patreon. There's so many financial ways that are necessary for folks to support this work. But for those that aren't able to, um, filling out the survey is an amazing way to help. And it also means that you might get a bunch of stuff from me. Um, also, please leave a rating or review on iTunes. It's, um, you know, I got a few of them, but it's been a while. And those are things that really help to promote the podcast that are cost free. Okay, that's enough from me. This episode is super long already, but I hope you enjoy this conversation. And I hope you are hanging in there on the dawn of summer today with Krista of Pink Opal Magic. Hi, Krista. Thank you so much for being on the Rise Up Good Witch podcast. Welcome. Thank you so much. Blessed to be here. It's a very exciting day for me. <laughs> Yay, that's awesome. Um, so for folks that aren't aware of your work and what you do, do you want to just um, tell us a little bit about yourself and what you do? Of course. I am a psychic witch identify as that title's a little bit um in flux right now but it's still valid i am a trans non-binary individual i use they them pronouns i am afro-indigenous my people are from west africa and europe and of the choctaw and lakota people from turtle island so i practice with a very earth-based earth-forward unity focused um mindset and um i am a tarot reader and a teacher and i am always 
I, I won't stop myself. I'm always shattering your illusion and I'm sorry, but you're also welcome. <laughs> I love that. Um, if you're not shattering someone's illusion, what the hell are you doing? I feel like. For real. <laughs> um, so I would love to hear, and I was just saying to you, yeah, I would love to hear a little bit your origin story for the work you've done and how it's developed over the years um, and how it's sort of evolved from, you know, previous iterations of Krista. Of course. I... <laughs> I, like I said, I'm, I'm Afro-Indigenous, so I grew up um, actually connected to community. I grew up at powwows every weekend, dancing, making my regalia, and it was a big part of my life. And those teachings about the like animism of the planet uh, were instilled in me at a young age. But the funny thing that happened was my mom, who I am like, without a doubt, I think is a pretendian. Like I think that my my native heritage comes from my father, and that's the where I can find it. My mom just kind of hopped on board, but she converted us all to Mormonism. So I was a Mormon when I was eleven, and that really surprisingly was one of the major formative experiences for me understanding that there is some invisible world and something at hand happening like i would go to these meetings um the church meetings and like general conference where they like have everybody in the church listening to the prophet on a big screen and i would sense you know the energy shift i mean there's something real when a hundred people are praying in a room together and even though i felt uncomfortable unwanted and um as a source of shame for these people and as a source of like their white saviorism i knew that there was something real in the world i just had to do a lot of work to like remove those frameworks from myself and my mind like I was little being like, you guys are not making sense. <laughs> like one plus one is supposed to equal two. And in this book, it doesn't. <laughs> and, you know, they didn't like that. They would ask, you know, are you having impure thoughts? I'd be like, I wasn't, but I am now <laughs> that you brought it up. <laughs> it was, it was a, a real mess. And I didn't realize that I could like be different or be like leave the church or live a different way um, until I, I don't I want to say it was like 2007 when Prop 8 was happening um, for gay marriage in California mm -hmm. and the Mormon church is basically the reason it didn't work out like they dropped every other cause and put all of their money and effort and person power into spreading hate and saying we can't let these people marry and that's when I was like I don't want to be a part of this and I'm not ever going again. Mm. I was never really into it. You know, my mom made me go and I think it was just for childcare because she didn't ever go. But it was that was the first moment where I was like, okay, no, I'm not. This is not working for me. I can't do it. <laughs> and they almost had me there for a minute in the first half because they have this idea, one of their teachings about the Bible where they're like, people misunderstand. God didn't make Adam and Eve to be perfect. He knew they were going to sin. He planned it like this is the plan. I was like, okay, yeah, okay, that makes sense. And then I was like, wait, 
what if that was the plan like why was the response abuse you know and mm. I was like this doesn't this doesn't fly and I come from a really abusive household and I just got really lucky I think with my spirit team and with my own um presence of mind to see that earlier than I than it could have happened and to kind of be able to compartmentalize in, I don't know, maybe it was a healthy way, maybe it wasn't a healthy way, but I was able to separate the teachings and my responsibility to show up at the church from what I actually believed and how I actually treated people. And I, I was like so grateful for that every day because I could have really been indoctrinated. If I was white, I would have been on board. Honestly, if I was why I, they would have had me because I'm connected and I felt energy. So I would think that was right. <laughs> but they also were racist. So you missed one. You missed a good one, Mormons. Wow. That that was so much. Thank you for sharing all of that. Um, I remember. Yeah, I remember the prop eight thing. And um, it was, you know, and there was another one. I don't remember the name of it. Uh a few years before that, when I was in Oregon, there was another prop that was also like banning all mentions that are neutral or positive of quote unquote homosexuality. Um, And I remember like trying to volunteer for that campaign when I was like 20 and then like leaving crying. I was just like way too sensitive to do that kind of stuff, like calling a bunch of religious people who were like, you are going to hell. Um, And it was just like too much for me. So um, that's so interesting that you, it was like, you know, the way that Mormons, like I do remember that they really put all their money into um, passing prop eight Um, so it feels like really potent that you were like, this is the moment when I step away. And besides y'all are racist and abusive. Um, so how did you make that transition kind of between like the Mormon church and, you know, being a witch? I, well, okay. So my mom, (laughs) my mom is is a wild ride. Um, she was also interested in witchcraft. She was interested in magic. She knew it was real. She practiced in a very not healthy, um, combative way. Uh, and she would take me in the car to a place in Long Beach called, I think it's called the Cat's Eye, and I think it's still there. And she would go get readings in there. Um, and when I would sit in the car and wait for her for like hours. And so it was always a part of my life, but also I was had this other group where the Mormons telling me that this is something I couldn't do or be a part of. And ultimately it was my fear, like a major fear that kept me away from that because we had ghosts when I was little. We had, um, we lived in Lakewood and we had, we moved in right after um, someone, a baby, like a child, a five-year-old had, had passed away on the property. And they were even on some reality show, you know, daytime TV, they were doing like this house is haunted and they bring a, um, like a police sketch person and a medium so that they could get the picture. And we did tons of little home experiments before that happened. And we knew that there was a spirit in the house and they were playing with my toys and it, I didn't have the framework to understand what was happening or why I was being affected by it so much. Um, 
And so I was really afraid of everything magical while simultaneously being so attracted to it, so interested. Like you cannot pull me away from an episode of Charmed. You couldn't do it. (laughs) I was watching it. I was there every day. (laughs) Like I was not going to miss Piper blow up or free something. And it took a long time. It wasn't until I had my first job out of college at um, a musical theater venue in LA and I had a a co-worker who was a Wiccan um, and I'm pretty sure she hates me now which is like very funny but <laughs> at the time <laughs> she was like sharing me sharing with me what was what she was doing and some books that she was reading and her coven and it led me to find people on YouTube in the early days of like WitchTube and I realized that they were living their lives with magic and with witchcraft and when I started dabbling, I was like, my spells just work. They're working. And I'm mm. not, I'm not experiencing a spell that's not working. And I had no choice but to, I mean, I definitely had a choice, but I saw a bright future for myself. I saw a purpose and I saw a sense of belonging. And I went through a whole journey to figure out what kind of magic was for me and what witchcraft really meant to me. But the impetus was really this person saying, oh, no, this is real and we do this. I just never had made that connection. I was like, I've always loved this. I love this fantasy book. I love these stories. And I know my mom was engaging in this. Uh, but And that really was a reason for me to not do it because I was like really trying to be against anything that she <laughs> was doing. But it is, as I've learned, it's, a, you know, ancestral and... I was able to kind of unclench my fists and receive what was has always been supporting me and what always has been around me. And that's when, you know, my life started to shift. And I I was doing, okay, I'll be honest with you. I was doing a couple of spells before I knew what was up, always in a moment of, desperation of um, intense fear of in the middle of traumatic experiences I didn't know why I thought to tie the knot in nine knots and burn it right I didn't know why I knew to do that but I did it and it didn't have a positive effect but it definitely worked and so it was a really windy road I'm always asked to tell this story and I can't I almost can't pin it down and it feels like I fell down a staircase in like a delightful way, but it was super disorienting. And then I kind of woke up and found myself with a better understanding of who I was and what I wanted to do. And it was hand in hand with my coming out story as well. Like I've always been so gay, (laughs) which I feel like we all hear, we all, we all say that when we look back and do that inner child work and realize that that inner child is also gay. but it takes, it takes, you know, like that transformation work, it takes bravery and and vulnerability and the place inside me that my queerness was waiting for me to like arrive was the same place inside of me that my magic and my connection to spirit was waiting for me to arrive and notice it. They were really hand in hand for me. Mm, I love that. I'm just like taking that in. That was beautiful. And it kind of leads into the next thing I was going to ask you is that I know you talk a lot about 
the intersection really of like queer and transness and how it is inherently magical. And, you know, correct me if I'm like paraphrasing that incorrectly, but um, I wanted you to kind of talk a little bit, bit about that, like how queerness is magical. I think that there is, <laughs> you know, hierarchies aren't real, but also there's nothing more magical than being queer, in my opinion, because now it started off as a feeling, right, and understanding, because for me, I, like I said, I found these two pieces of me in the same place inside of me. And when I was looking out, outside of me at the messaging and the responses to both of those things, their perspective closets and whatnot, I realized that they were the same people against it. There were the same criticisms. They were the same fears. And, you know, my people don't fear queerness. In when our, you know, before colonization, we had a different understanding of gender. We had a different understanding of sexuality and community. And it, it was absolutely villainized. And I think from what I have researched and what I've like read and received from different people's works and different organizations is that they've always wanted, they as like the hierarchy, the overarching powers that be right mm -hmm. now, they have always wanted to keep queer people away from religion, out of spirituality, out of the church. Whereas with a lot of of people of color with black people and enslaved people and indigenous people their goal was integration right to forced assimilation and then we get to these queer people and they they definitely do you know with conversion camps and stuff like that they want there to be a way to transform it but also historically it's been about removing queer people from that from that access point because they know you know their goal was to take the ability to speak to your God away from you. You have to have a middle person, you have to have uh, a, a medium, so to speak, you have to have a religious figure. You can't have this in your house. When I talk to them, it's holy. When you talk to them, it's evil. To remove that sense of, of personal and collective power. And for queer people, I always think when we look back at history, we are on the forefront of new ways of living all the time. We are at the forefront of new art, of new language, of new expression, and also of new, you know, science and technology advancements. And so from my perspective, I know that queer people and trans people, people who have expansive sexual and gender identities have with them like future codes you know we have this portal work inside of us of being purposefully a liminal being you know not just a liminal space that space that portals inside of us because we have this flexibility this mutability and this ability to travel between those worlds and i don't know if it's inherent or i don't and i don't know if it's um learned because of the way that the society is set up, but I do know that that's how we operate. And we know that they don't want to move forward. They don't want to change because that means that they would lose power. And so the, the effort to keep queer people mm -hmm. out of spiritual spaces is the main thing that informs my belief in their inherent power, in their inherent magical presence and their holy 
liminal being space. Like mm -hmm. I, I can't be convinced. And when you think about with uh, indigenous people to Turtle Island, they understood that those people were talking to God. They understood that those people were supposed to be these spiritual guides and spiritual leaders. And it wasn't necessarily, and of course, not all indigenous, indigenous people are not a monolith and not all cultures mm -hmm. were the same, but this is where this idea comes from of this, these people being, when you are different, it means that you are holy. It doesn't mean that you are evil. And that, that, that binary existing in itself is already wrong when it comes to the way that the world works. For me, when I look at how humans should be living, I look at how the planet runs how the planet works with itself and there's no good and bad there's no right and wrong there's no evil and holy as as a binary as just that dichotomy there's so much diversity in nature and i feel like we should just expect there to be that much diversity among our race among the humans and so Again, I have like I have like four hundred and fifty five thousand Gemini placements, so I <laughs> have to try really hard <laughs> to be succinct. <laughs> but I love it. I'm the same way, except I have no Gemini placements, but I have a um, a stellium in the third house, so it's fine. <laughs> I love it when people talk a lot. Um, it's easier for me to process. And um, yeah, thank you for sharing all of that. I think. Um, you know, I, I feel like from reading a little bit about your story and listening to you, um, it's, it's, you know, you're really, you seem like really down to earth and relatable in your magic. And I think that's like the magic that we need collectively. And I also, you know, was someone that had a long journey. I mean, I've been queer, like I was like, knew I was queer when I was a child, but um, it was um, a different journey to be like, letting everybody, you know, like being like, I am everybody, I'm queer, you know, because I think for a long time, it was like, unless someone was like, are you straight? I wouldn't even talk about it. You know, I would be like, no, I am not. Um, but I think, um, you know, the same with witchcraft and, and being a witch, because like you're saying about binaries that we live in a time, like you've mentioned, of um, real individualism, um, and I think like, especially for white folks, it's super ingrained in us. And it's something that we have to spend a lot of time on learning. Like I, I almost think sometimes like I've net, you know, I've struggled with substance misuse, but never been in like a 12 step program, but it almost feels like that sometimes is like the act of unlearning, like colonialism, patriarchy, white supremacy, et cetera, is like being in a 12 step program that you can like never leave because it's so much work. Absolutely. I, I totally hear that. And, and like, it's really easy. I think maybe not easy, but totally tempting to see that and to see the work and to see the fact that there's no end date on it and to think that that means that we should be like really sad or like nihilistic and think that it's not possible but for me from where i where i'm at right now the fact that there is all of this work to do that it is so uncomfortable and we're running into 
speed bumps, we're running into obstacles, we're running into new versions, new sneaky ways that white supremacy has ingrained itself into us, it actually gives me hope. I feel like to see all of this uncovered and maybe, you know, we're not going to get to it all in my lifetime. That's okay. Maybe it's taken generations to get this far and maybe it'll take more generations to undo it and that's okay. But the fact that there's so much everywhere and we're finally seeing it to me speaks of prophecy coming to pass. It speaks of, you know, miracles actually happening. It speaks to different portals opening and other portals closing and it, I think that it's, like I said, totally tempting to be like, well, this is a lot and it's going to hurt forever and there's no point. But for me to see that information, it's like, no, this means that it's possible. This means that it's probable beyond being possible and that the miraculous is like at our doorstep. And I have to like dig my heels into that. Mm -hmm. Otherwise I wouldn't be able to talk to white people. Mm. Yeah, definitely. And and what you said just now really invoked in me like a reflection on, and I know you have experienced this, the uh, the scam artists um, that have been on Instagram um, making fake accounts mm -hmm. of um, practitioners and then trying to scam people out of their money. And I, yeah, like I've had it happen. You've had it happen. And, you know, with what kind of what you said about like the way that the systems that be are always trying to find ways to like invalidate and, and sh give us the short end of the stick in so many ways. Um, I think like, yeah, the popularity, the growing popularity of divination work um, is making so much room for um, people to exploit that work because already it's not taken seriously. Right. So if you already don't take something seriously, you don't respect it. Um, you open the door for a lot of, uh, con artists you know to like make their way in and it's an interesting juxtaposition you know I feel like um I like talked about this on the last episode I recorded but um the the you know you're a tarot reader and I don't know if you've noticed like with the proliferation of tarot readers there's been like people I don't I don't I don't know but it feels like so many people just look at it as this thing that's really easy and that you can make a lot of money doing um and I've been hearing about people you know took one class and now are charging standard you know divination work prices which historically I think like a historically this is not money-making work. This is not work that's gonna make you rich. Like if you're rich, you're probably not doing this right. Um, you're probably exploiting people. Like being um, you know, a psychic or a witch or like a practitioner of anything magical or divination related is, is humbling work and it's hard work and it takes a lot of energy. It is not something that you show up and, you know, have barely any experience and you're offering like $50 two card readings or something. And then you're using a book when you're doing the reading. Um, and like, you know, I think about this a lot because it's, it's really frustrating as someone that, I mean, yeah, like I learned tarot 13 years ago or something. And I only started charging, like, I would never charge more than $10 up until like three years ago. So it's like the fact that people look at it as this thing, like a quick money-making thing, it's just, it cheapens everything, but it's also like late stage capitalism. We're in like the moment of the Pluto return, witches are being, 
you know, silenced once again, which I never want to like bring that up without being like, you know, me as a white person, I, you know, it's, it's like there, the persecution has gone on long and, um, has affected like people of marginalized backgrounds forever. So I don't want to act like this is like a new thing, but, um, yeah, that was my tangent about that. <laughs> I honestly think it, it does a disservice to the readers as well, because you are in this position where you think I've got this skill, you know, I've, I've experienced this, um, connection right and and missing the point that that connection in that first experience is the very first door and that there are many more doors to continue to open but like you get into this mindset where you're like okay cool i'm gonna be a tarot reader i'm gonna make all this money and which i don't even know who's your example like where when like you said historically that's not like what i uh, don't you remember how that was usually like you paid two dollars on the street where somebody put up a table but okay but they get into this mindset like this is my purpose this is my destiny and then they are skipping all of these steps and then suffering so much when it doesn't take off when they're not selling when they are um doing a reading for somebody and they're not coming back it takes so much like you said it's really humbling and to be in it to make money not to say that you don't deserve abundance not to say that you don't deserve to live well every day we all do but magic and divination is not going to take you from zero to 60 especially when capitalism excuse me capitalism is our invention we put it here and we have to remove it you know, this is our responsibility. We put ourselves under the systems that we are living in and it is up to us to remove it. And of course, spirit is working on it. Of course, they're helping us. But jumping straight to this is my business, this is my purpose, puts so much weight on the legs of something that hasn't even learned to stand yet. It's fine, I think, especially with some decks to like read from the book or whatever, but you don't need to be charging $50. You can do an exchange, uh, energy exchange. You know, I'll give you $5. Can you give me $5 to practice or whatever it is? But you are doing yourself a disservice by skipping the journey and going straight to this is the way that I make money. And it, it's true for so many um, areas of spirituality when it comes to it being turned into this market, um, into this economy because you it immediately takes away all of the space that you have to learn the lessons that you need to learn. And it narrows in your idea of what your purpose could be because you don't have one purpose. Nobody has mm -hmm. one purpose. And to find that you kind of like tarot and you're seeing people have businesses, so you're gonna go and think you're gonna make money, you're just gonna be so depressed and so sad and beating yourself up thinking that you're doing something wrong that you're not a good tarot reader when really you just tried to jump to the Olympics after your first practice. And it's it does us a disservice, it does you a disservice, and we miss the point of this work. This work is not supposed to be for entertainment. It's not even really supposed to be for public consumption in that sense. And I think that, you know, historically, like you said, this is, humbling work and so many of the people that we see making 
you know, getting to the point where they are well off, like rich, beyond wealthy, making a lot of money. (laughs) It's like, (laughs) there's definitely something, there's definitely something going on there. And, you know, we could get mad, but personally, I know that, you know, somebody in the invisible world is going to take care of it. It's not going to be pleasant and comfortable for them beyond thinking that so many people's vanity metrics on Instagram means that they're making a lot of money. Like, Mm -hmm. sorry, think that having 5,000 followers just makes you money. It doesn't. And your readings have to have something. They have to have weight. They have to have meaning for it to continue to grow and spread and be rooted in something that's sustainable. Ultimately, you're just going to be sad. Mm, That's so real. Absolutely. It is really hard work. Um, I feel like, yeah, I've wanted to give up so many times. It's, it's been so hard. And yeah, people are like, you have 24,000 followers, you must be rich. And I'm like, I really don't make as much as y'all think. Like, it's not that exciting, you know, Um, still got a lot of student loan debt too, from a career that I didn't go down that path. Um, But I think, um, yeah, what you say is super valid. I, you know, I, I want to check myself and make sure I'm not like the, yeah, I, I don't want to be judgmental towards like new readers. Cause like I was there myself too, but, and, and we're living in a really hard time of capitalism. I mean, the amount of inflation that we've experienced, I don't know the data around it, but it's pretty bananas. Like how much more expensive things got in the last two years, like cost of living, especially in California. Um, so I, you know, there's a lot of nuance to that, but, um, yeah, I think there's a lot, it's very glamorized, like doing this work is glamorized. And yet, you know, this work, um, has given me so much ego death. Um, and it's like, there's sort of like spiritual ego that comes up where people are like, I'm psychic and therefore I know everything and I can, I, yeah, like it's, and really that just comes off as being egotistical and it makes me think a lot about, um, you know, the, the word empath and the way the word empath has changed. I don't know if you've thought about this. I think about this all the time. Like I always identified as an empath because I'm extremely sensitive to other people's emotions when they're around me. Like I can literally feel them. And because of that, I have to be careful because when I was younger, I would just like drink a lot and then like get angry because I was taking on all these feelings. And then I was just being harmful. And I think this idea of like empaths are these angels that never cause harm and never hurt anyone is so problematic and wrong because if you don't know how to work with your energy, you could use it as a weapon instead of a tool. And that's what I see a lot. And I've had like, just in my time of doing Rise Up Good Witch, I've experienced so many levels of ego death because I recognize like the work that I do in the world really has nothing to do with me as a person. It's all coming through me. Um, And that's the thing that I think a lot of people miss. They're like, I'm the high priestess and I can channel and I'm like so good at tarot or whatever. And then like, really the reality of it is it's, it's not really like about you. It's something that was passed on. Um, something that was kind of like gifted to you by ancestors, but at the same time, it's not an easy, it's not like a, you know, it's a two-sided gift because it's a real challenge. And I think, you know, and I feel like this ties into like the queer trans stuff because queerness is so stigmatized and looked down upon in mainstream society still to this day. Um, I feel sort of like to be able to have these like quote unquote gifts 
you struggle and suffer a lot um, in order to transform them. And I, I think about that. That's why I'm so obsessed with Pluto. I'm like, it's a transformation process for us to grow into like who we are meant to be. Yeah. I, I and it's like with the empath thing too, I'm just like, if you have a set of circumstances, like being empathic or being psychic, that doesn't again uh, you have to do hierarchy work because you're not better than literally anybody there are no hierarchies you don't Mm -hmm. get to win at like birth roulette but what it does is actually just give you more responsibilities it gives you more responsibilities and to ignore the the responsibility that you have for your emotional experience for protecting your emotional body for projecting your emotions and for trying to avoid accountability or scrutiny because of how much you feel is like a misappropriation of your gift it's every gift is just like a set of circumstances right and you have to in order to like live well you have to engage with it as it being your responsibility. I'm a psychic, so it's my responsibility. And I love that you're like, I psychic, I'm psychic, I know everything. And I'm like, <laughs> I get that. I feel that totally because I feel like when I started understanding like psychic ability and messages, I felt like I understand like way less simultaneously. Maybe I understand more <laughs> in some ways, but there's other things where I'm like, I don't know what's real because this is a lot. This is a lot of information. And it really does just that's why i think really what we're getting at that's why the intersectionality of our world is so important to work through inside of yourself because it does affect every aspect of yourself and being a spiritual person having a spiritual gift it just means that you have to work harder to excavate some of this poison that's passed down you you otherwise you're just going to continue to cause harm and wreak harm everywhere you go and i you say you're love and light but what's coming out of you is literally not that <laughs> like you're killing me over here it's not that to, to if you want to be love and light you have to engage in conflict like conflict is love you have to engage in disagreement you have to understand and actively accept the fact that you have caused harm and you will continue to cause harm and it does not a question of who's bad and who's good it's a question of what are you going to do when you find out that you have harmed someone not if when you find out that you've harmed someone you can't understand these systems and talk about these systems and then not investigate their hooks that they have in us all of us of all identities marginalized and otherwise it's it's inherited we all have generational gifts and we all have generational curses and this bitterness this poison that to be honest is like prophesized and talked about in a, in um among the cree people um among the Diné, there are multiple indigenous to turtle island tribes who have seen this coming um <laughs> and it's our work to transform that toxicity it's like when you look at the planet 
when something's out of balance, like there are mm, funguses that come along and completely, you know, disable the ant population because otherwise they'd control the jungle. <laughs> you know, like we, mm -hmm. that means that toxicity is not static. It's not a place that you arrive and it's not, it doesn't describe a person in entirety. And we have to have space for that drainage and transformation and refilling of that energy because it is in all of us there's nobody that doesn't have it mm, beautiful um i love that i love this conversation um i definitely want to ask you a uh, some more questions but i wanted to say like as a aside kind of like to what we're talking about um something and i i've been talking with like my uh, patrons and podcast listeners about this on our discord community but um this idea yeah that being an empath is like this infallible thing where you like you never hurt anyone and you're just like this perfect angel and I've been hearing a lot of uh responses to that that are like empaths can have terrible boundaries just because and I have done this when you just because you can sense that someone's upset with you or that someone's going through something doesn't give you a right to like pry into them. Um, which, yeah, like I had to learn that lesson. Like that definitely was like a shadow work thing for me is like, I don't have the right to know what everyone's thinking just because I can sense it. Um, but I wanted to, cause we're kind of talking about like the inevitability of harm. And that's a really scary thing, you know, for a lot of people. I know like when I was younger, that was like a really scary thing for me. Like I had, some issues with perfectionism and the idea that I could hurt or harm someone was so horrifying to my low self-esteem, but yet I would harm and hurt people all the time. So it's like that unwillingness to like look at it only proliferates it. And that's why I think about the shadow. It's like, you don't, if you won't look at your shadow and that's the love and light culture. Um, if you don't look at your shadow, if you don't acknowledge your shadow, your shadow rules you your shadow will take over. Um, so you have to kind of like make peace with it. And um, yeah, there's there's so much about like the idea of toxicity, which I was actually unpacking that the other day with myself, just like, I don't want to call anyone. I don't think people are toxic. I think behaviors are toxic and some people will perpetuate those behaviors um, all the time, you know? And what is that? That's usually unhealed trauma it's, there's usually something behind it. And that's not to say that we need to like be BFF and date every person with repetitive toxic behaviors, but it, you know, have boundaries with those people. But it is to say that like, there's a lot of pain in the world and it comes out in ways that aren't always ethical, you know, often are not ethical. Um, and that's all to say, um, you know, I, I told you when I, when we were scheduling the interview, like the I can't remember exactly when I started following your work, but I know that like you did a live stream and this was like a year or so ago about, and I'm not even going to like use these people's names, but I'm sure lots of people are going to know who we are talking about. <laughs> this person on Instagram who has a huge platform and talks a lot about trauma and has been, um, you know, they've been like repeatedly called out for like appropriating BIPOC content and like being harmful. I don't really even know what they've been called out for. And you were talking about how the people doing the calling out were kind of like repeating the same harm that that person was doing. And it was just getting really messy. And the reason I really appreciated it 
is you were one of the first people I heard speak that truth. And I think things have shifted a little bit, but at that time, um, and I was guilty of it too. I've been involved in some really messy callouts that, you know, like I think those people were problematic, but I don't stand behind the way that I addressed it. Um, and I feel, and this is a super long question, sorry. Um, but I feel kind of like, you know, it's it's hard for people to be like, yeah, that person is harmful, but I don't need to like shun them. And it's sort of like you said something about how like the spirits are like the inherent like justice of the world is going to figure all of this out. And I really felt that way. It's like, if you see someone being harmful or abusive, um, you don't need to engage with that person, but you also don't need to try to like take them down. Um, of course, I'm not talking about someone who's like actively very dangerous and shows no uh, remorse or attempt at behavior change. But a lot of times these major callouts are about people that maybe like they're not the coolest or the best people ever, but are they like actively causing extreme harm to the point where like so much energy has to be um, directed at them? So that's super long, but I would love to hear your thoughts around that. Yeah. Um... I remember that and I was totally nervous to speak about it, but what I was seeing happen, like at the time I, you know, I had, I didn't follow that person. I found out about it like from somebody else that was involved and I was like, okay, let me look into this. And all that I saw what was actually happening through this call out was not accountability or not a call to action to actually move forward and heal as a community what they were doing was seeding more distrust they were seeding incredible paranoia and fear on an already fragile community without any like clear path forward it, it felt like it was just noise and all the people that were coming to me and the people that ended up commenting on that video were also in this place of i'm just scared and confused it nothing makes sense i don't know what's going on and i'm not someone who's like totally against cancel culture i think no one is owed a platform no one is owed our business and our money and our likes and our views if you don't like someone if you think they're problematic and the way that you have to like address the situation is to remove yourself, you should do that. And I don't think it's like, no, let them keep their platform and their millions just because it's not, you know, it's not nice to cancel them. They should lose their everything. And I'm like, kind of, yeah. But, <laughs> but at the same time, like we're experiencing this right now. I don't know if you're on TikTok, but there is. <laughs> yes, I was going to yes. bring this up. But we're, we're experiencing it again and to think yeah. that we don't have like we have to remember that we do not have the framework in place globally for community care we do not have the how to love each other is not ingrained or taught to any of us like i'm reading um bell hooks all about love with my patreon right now and she says in there it makes it so much sense like we're left to learn about love in our families but nobody's doing this work you know my parents my parents parents and their parents we didn't know how to care and how to love and how to have these societies and so it comes back to these people being like so shocked that somebody caused harm you like that's gonna happen <laughs> that's just gonna happen and when we do not leave space for the 
unknown, the uncomfortable, trying to figure out how to have a path forward and to recognize the harm that we could do in our what seeking justice or revenge really is what it seems to be yeah. most of the time. Then if we don't have a plan, if we don't have a goal and we're not looking at to what other harm we are enacting upon people, then your calling out is just another act of harm and all you're doing is sowing dissent. And I don't like to say that because I know a lot of like white supremacists use that language when black people are trying to say, hey, this is <laughs> yeah. horrible, please get off my neck. They're like, wow, you're really dividing us. But when we are with the situations happening on TikTok right now, where we're trying to actually address somebody who is actively harming people, we have somebody else weaponizing their pain, weaponizing their trauma with no end goal in sight. And that's not care. That's not that's not accountability. There's no future. There's no possibility for anything else but drama and pain spreading out very wide. And so I do think that it is important to hold people accountable where we can, where we actually can. Can I hold this person accountable? No. But can I unfollow? Yeah. Can I remove myself from the noise? Absolutely. Can I show support for someone who's been hurt? Yeah. But what we are encouraging so often, I think, is this rallying of an army and I hate to say it, but white people are too excited to get together, gang up and take somebody down. Like, mm -hmm. I know y'all's ancestors were like warriors in that sense and colonizers in that sense, but this is not a righteous fight. And where we fight is not with each other. It's against the systems. If you are struggling with white supremacy with misogyny and there's no outlet for it when it comes to somebody who's actually caused harm or or a path forward that includes an actual goal what accountability actually looks like and not just noise like maybe it's just time to quiet ourselves down and turn our focus towards the actual systems that are keeping us from being able to love each other, keeping us, some people in so much poverty that they see other poverty and think it's a competition of who's worth more care. Like, no, the like they, we're infighting because that's the point, that's their goal for us to infight and we're falling for it. And with the, <laughs> I don't, don't want to get too specific, but with the situation on TikTok, like, um, yeah, a man did a misogyny. Yeah, for sure. We <laughs> yeah. not, we went through this whole Hierophant year in uh, 2020 and nobody came out realizing that we shouldn't be putting people up on pedestals and that perfection doesn't exist and that we're all going to be causing harm. Like we didn't realize that he's not... <laughs> He's not like an anti-misogyny warrior, you know what I'm saying? To be surprised that the, that this person that you like completely fetishized and idealized thought are surprised that somebody could like an indigenous person could cause harm. Like what? Of course, of course. Mm -hmm. And we are all having to learn how to care about each other. And there has to be space for error. And at the same time, if somebody's trying to hold you accountable and call you in and you double down on white supremacy, it is our right 
to unfollow and disengage. And it's really most of the time the only way that we can even be involved. I don't know if I made sense, but I just- Oh my gosh, you made so much sense. I love it. Um, Yeah, I was gonna actually, I was like, dang, that TikTok drama. And they're like, come to think of it, I don't, you know, there was another guy that was deplatformed a few weeks ago that was like a big leftist influencer because his partner was like, yeah, he's abusive. He cheated on me. He's invalidating, you know? So it's like, that's, and, and, you know, I'm sure you've been in communities where that has happened. Like I know in my, you know, younger years of like being in a punk community that happened a lot, you know, a lot of times someone who like speaks really well on issues, like you know, men that are really like trying to platform femmes and like talk about anti-misogyny get called out or like are revealed as doing these really hurtful things. And, you know, yeah, that needs to be. And again, like you said, like, I'm not against cancel culture. I'm not either. I I hate that phrase cancel culture. Cause like I was dry, like an aside, I was uh, last summer, I was like driving down the 395 in like Eastern California, very Mm -hmm. conservative. There were all these signs that were like, there'd be like a gun picture and it'd be like, stop cancel culture. And I was like, great. So all these like left quote unquote leftists that are like quote unquote anti- cancel culture are like aligning themselves with Tucker Carlson. Um, but I think it's more nuanced, you know, it's like just because someone tells you that someone is harmful or does, did something bad doesn't mean, you know, you shouldn't feel like you're like being bullied into like not supporting that person, I guess. Um, but I, I also feel like, yeah, we have to be realistic and we have to stop putting people on pedestals. You know, all that a pedestal can do is make that person fall really, really fucking far. Um, so I think that's like important to note and just like, yeah, there's a difference between ca- uh, canceling and accountability. Like for me, I've been held accountable before, not in a public way, but like in smaller circles. And that has like amazingly helped me be better. I, it was hard, it was painful. No one wants to hear that they hurt someone, but it was like fertilizer for my life. and. That's really what I hope for a lot of these people causing harm and in, you know, in very public ways. And I also just think, yeah, we, we don't have in our mental health system, in community care systems, we don't have um, methodologies for helping people that are abusive to heal. And again, that's also because a lot of people that are abusive refuse to look at themselves and just gaslight and, and manipulate anyone that tries to get them to look at themselves. So that's a valid point. You know, that's, and that's when you unfollow, that's when you block, that's when you disengage. But I think like, yeah, we're all, you know, we're all problematic sometimes. We all can be harmful sometimes. And if I can like share something that's a little bit more personal that I was thinking of when you were talking several years ago, like seven years ago, this is super personal, but I'm just going to share it. (laughs) I um, was assaulted by a I just like a really now I'm like he sucks like I'm just like he I was assaulted by this very manipulative like love and lighty type guy and um I was so angry and like I've unfortunately been a survivor of many sexual assaults starting in childhood and I never got angry before 
I, I would be blame myself, but for some reason this time, seven years ago, I was so angry. I was like, I'm going to destroy his life. And I wrote, a post, I wrote something on like Craigslist. Like I went on Craigslist, like outed him by name, like listed all the things that he did. Uh, like other people were like, yeah, he's a predator. He like sexually harasses people. He violates people and he uses polyamory as a way to do it. And my result from that, like what I learned is I never want to do something like that again, because he's continuing to, I mean, I don't know what the hell he's doing now, but as far as I know, he's continuing to live his life. He didn't learn any lessons. He just went to a different community where he can abuse other femmes. I don't think that he's improved. I highly doubt that he's changed his ways because if you can't acknowledge that you've hurt someone, how are you going to change your ways? And all it really did was make me sicker and make me more upset. Um, and it's not that I wouldn't encourage anyone to do that. So I just want to be clear, like survivors need to do what we need to do to survive and, and, you know, help ourselves and like stand up for other people. But, you know, it's a lot of times it ends up hurting us if we go to that, you know, that revenge seeking behavior. Right. I mean, you, it's like, we have to, we have to investigate within ourselves, whether what we are after is going to actually end up feeling good or not. You know, I agree. I think that survivors have to do whatever they have to do to be well, to make it through. I mean, be well, that's like, sometimes it's miles away from where you are, right? It's like, just to continue to be. So you have to do what you have to do. I'm not against like curse work or whatever, whatever you're doing, but it's also important to remember that like, it's like, you know, sometimes revenge is that poison that, and sometimes we are, we are casting and pulling um, more energetic tethers to continue to be connected to the people that we need to not be connected to. And it sucks because when you're, when you're thinking of that, when you want revenge, you are not really in a place to be like, is this going to be in my highest and best? Like that was not my mind. That's not, I don't know about you, Mm -hmm. but that's not what I was thinking. Um, And it's complicated, but you're totally right. I mean, it is, I think it's, we have to investigate when people do call out or like a mess, especially a messy call out. Uh, My first question is, was there an attempt to call in? Because you doing this is attention, it's drama, it's for your vanity and for your revenge. Because especially with this TikTok thing, like what do you want to happen? Because we're still doing this and there's no goal. There's no, there's no end point. There's nothing. It's just, let's keep doing this. And that's madness. Like you're just poisoning yourself, continuing to receive poison and and uh, you know knock it back when we should be working towards accountability and the thing is that we are all dreaming and wishing and planning for the new world for the equitable world where we are all well where our systems are in place but we do not want to do the work on each other we are what what are we thinking that the new world is going to have just like a completely new set of humans no it's yes. us and our progeny it is it is us and our legacy it's not going to be like okay you're out you're out you're out new world we've achieved that's not how it works because that's just going to mean more actually more pathways of causing harm and more insidious pathways of causing harm and we can't pretend that it's not us 
the equitable world, like the world, the planet is equitable. Us and our communities and our society at large is not. And it's us that need the work. Gen Z can't pop out and save the world if all we're teaching them is how to hurt each other, how to yell at each other, and how to cut each other off. That's not community care. The goal should not be to remove somebody from the community immediately. It should be their rehabilitation. It should be the, the survivors and the victims and the people who have struggled and been hurt should be their well-being and what they need to be safe and to fix and heal the community as a whole. If our main goal and point whenever we see something that is harmful or um, sometimes even just like not what we think is right, but not necessarily harmful, if your goal is just, I'm gonna ruin them, then that's harm. You can't pretend that that's not harm. It, it may very well be justified harm. Now that's another complicated conversation. It very well may be justified harm, but we can't pretend that it's not harm. We have to see, we have to see. Otherwise in this new world that we're dreaming of, that we're praying for, that we are casting spells for to invite, that we're trying to be the portal for, we'll never make it because it's on us like spirits ready they've been ready and it's us that need to do the work to manifest what it is that it's waiting in the invisible world humans are only i mean we only exist to manifest i mean we are what we make things we make art we make sound we make everything and that includes our own well-being and spirits like here are the tools here are the plans here are the pathways and we have to be the one to build them because they can't do it they're in the invisible world <laughs> they mm. don't have density it has to be us we have mass absolutely yeah thank you that was so beautiful um yeah it's 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 such a complicated topic and i've i've been like um and I'm sure you have too, just like piecing together how I feel about everything for years um, as an abolitionist, as a person with a lot of mental health issues and trauma. And a lot of us with mental health issues and trauma have caused harm in our life because there weren't access to resources for healing and someone who has been harmed, you know, like someone that is a survivor of multiple acts of violence. Um, there's just a lot of nuance to it, but I think like there's, yeah, there's too much binary. It's either like let's up, you know, like people who have done harmful things, like being like, I'm, you know, I'm going to like expand my platform because someone's telling me to like, take a step back. So I'm going to expand like as revenge or, you know, like the TikTok stuff of like, I think it really is rooted and I'm not a psychologist, but I know from like my own experience that I shared there's like a part, like if you have trauma, you're going to have a hard time validating yourself. A lot of times you're going to have a hard time recognizing that things that happened to you were harmful and you're going to want other people to validate. And I don't want to speak for all trauma survivors, but I know that's something I've struggled with as well as like other people I know. So a lot of times when someone's make, you know, like someone is like sharing a lot of pain around this disappointment or this harm that was committed like I don't want to you know I don't want to minimize it by saying disappointment instead of harm but when you're using a gigantic million follower count platform um is that really because you want accountability or are you trying to be validated in the pain that you're currently experiencing I don't know right right and it's like I just 
when it comes to, I mean, this situation and the situation um, a year ago that we were talking about, I think one of the other things that they have in common is like, where are the, the, where's the support system? All of these people are like, my way of support is to be, is to like go to battle for you and to be a little foot soldier in this. Uh, but we're watching the videos and we're watching the media, the content being put out that clearly has warning signs for somebody's well-being. And there's nobody saying, like, I'm going to go do a wellness check. I'm going to go look in on this person that, you know, somebody that knows them. They're just, we're way more willing to, like, step up to the plate with our swords than we are to, like, come over with a warm plate of food. It's Mm. like, yes, you are, you were hurt and no one's, I mean, not no one, there are horrible people. (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) But for the most part, we're not denying that you were harmed and that you were hurt. And also, (laughs) and also you, your position and your platform and your skin color have an impact and you don't get to pretend that it doesn't like to this revenge is not accountability like again it comes down to what are you actually asking for nothing so far nothing because what more could possibly happen the platform has been removed what what else why are we Mm -hmm. still talking about it for vanity for your metrics for your business for your popularity like it's not that's not you becoming well at this point. It's not you even continuing to be validated because how many more millions of comments do you need? I feel like at this point, don't you need something? You're saying that you're hurt. You need something and it's not social media. Right. Doesn't get to be social media, (laughs) especially when there are so many other people enduring harm because of it, because of your actions. And uh, I don't know. Right. Again, I'm in the same place where I'm like, I don't really know how I feel about it all the way. I just know that it should have been private. (laughs) Yeah. Just know that it should have been private. And this is why we need to care about each other. And this is why we need to be um, purposeful and intentionable, intentionable, intentional (laughs) in crafting our communities and how we're going to care for each other in these communities and um, coming together locally and globally and making sure that we have systems in place for when we harm someone because we are gonna yes absolutely it is it's such a nuanced conversation i'm really really thankful that you were open to having this conversation with me and i love what you said i just want to you know say i loved what you said about like this idea of like yeah, we want to create visionary worlds. Like there's a lot of talk in radical spaces about like what's going to happen after the fall of capitalism. And yet the reality is that is so much inner work and outer work that, yeah, if we're if we're just like putting people on pedestals and, and pushing them off all the time, we're not going to get there. Um, there has to be a better way. So I love that you share that because it is, ma- I think that healing is magical. You know, like I know for myself, like there's been certain harmful patterns I've had of my life and the act of transforming them has felt like magic because you know when we're like tied to certain stories like unlearning those stories feels like this magical transformation um and also like so much of what you said about you know we learn things 
innately without learning them because they're in our bodies because our ancestors lived them and we are our ancestors. Mm -hmm. So I just think there's, you know, so many, yeah, there's so many ways to look at this and I'm just grateful for this conversation. Absolutely. Absolutely. It's like, I, I think it's magic too. I think that it is absolutely transmutation and alchemy changing something. And the, I think it's important for me to mention just from like my indigenous perspective that like, you don't have to be a skilled magical practitioner, right? To like transform things inside of you. From our perspective, like we weren't like, this is magic. We were like, this is a part of being alive. This is a part of engaging with the spirit that you are inhabiting your body. And here are all these allies, all these people that are not human people, but they're people all on this planet that know what we're going through and they know how to help us and they can see a picture that we can't see. And it's just, it's just, this can be and is for everyone. And you don't have to like magic or witchcraft in particular to engage in transformational work. And it is all of our birthright by being the planet, by being, uh, Chiron Armand said this once and it stuck with me forever. You're the planet walking around on itself. And that is, mm. you know, that's true. That's, that's scientifically true. We're, we're nothing else but this dirt. <laughs> like some mm -hmm. of us is from the stars, but it landed here first. And we can learn from environment from all of the different ecosystems from the way that the planet functions we can learn how we are supposed to treat each other how we can engage in all sorts of healing work because ultimately our all of our path and all of our purpose is to get to a place of well-being and we just are coming out of a hole we were set behind so far because of our own actions and we have every opportunity every single day to to take a step further out of the hole and we just have to keep that radical hope we have to dig you know our heels into that fertile ground of of hope and possibility and the miraculous because i don't care what the scientists say this planet can fix itself i don't care what the studies say about white people deciding that they're the majority and then looking doing studies on themselves and then telling us that's how life and the world is that's just not that's not that's not even good science yeah. From what I can see and I can feel this planet's got it. It's got everything we need, including interpersonally, including in our healing internally, and for all of our outward basic needs to be met, this world can and will transform itself and we can learn from that. And if, if anybody takes anything from this, I hope that you take that you belong here on this planet and that the planet has not a plan for you, you get to do whatever you want, but has a pathway for any and all of your plans. And there's healing and transformation and well-being on all of them, but you have to open your hand. You cannot have a closed fist. You have to open your hand. You have to do the shadow work. You have to see where the problem is. And then there will be space for miracles. There will be space for the miraculous because that's the most natural thing that could happen. 
I love that. And I love, I felt like that was a little bit full circle because you were talking about like you getting into, you know, stepping into your power as a psychic and you use that idea as well of opening your hands to it. Um, So I love that so much. Um, Yeah. And thank you so much for having this conversation. I love the way where it went. I think this was, yeah, it ended up being pretty intense, Um, but I think folks are going to love it and they're definitely going to want to connect with you. So I would you know, love it if, well, first I want to give you space to like share anything that you think we didn't get to. Hmm. No, I think we, I love this conversation too. I think we did an amazing job talking with you is so delightful. Yay. Yeah. Um, so how can folks find you? Where can they connect with you and work with you? Yeah, uh, the most direct way to work with me is uh, by visiting my website, pinkopalmagic.com. I am still on Instagram at pinkopalmagic. It is a, a complicated relationship, but currently I'm still present. But you'll see more readings and more active posting on TikTok, where actually I am not at pinkopalmagic. I'm at Gemini underscore themini because uh, I thought it was clever. Um, and I have a Patreon where you can basically get like a 20 minute reading a month for me for like 20 bucks. <laughs> it's a pretty good deal. So I don't want it to sell out, but no, I do join us. It's a lot of fun. We have a book club. We do, we're about to start a D and D campaign. It's going to be so much fun, but, uh, yeah, that's where you can, where you can find me. Thank you for listening to the rise up good witch podcast. If you want to support the show, go to patreon.com slash riseupgoodwitch, where a pledge of $5 or more per month gets you access to extra content and helps support the production of the show. And go to Apple Podcasts and leave a five-star rating and a review. You can also check out the website for tarot readings and apothecary and other offerings. Thanks so much, y'all. See you next time.